0: Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 1 to 11, page 1158. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the Church of God in Corinth, together with all our saints throughout Asia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in your patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We are under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despair even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a de- deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. As you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many.
1: A little bit of room amongst all the celebrations to clamber up on the stage. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, So this time next week, uh, Liam, Rutter and Matt Holmes and I will be at Stansted Airport, uh, God willing, waiting for the first of what will be six flights in eight days. Liam and Matt are coming with me on what is a fairly uh, standard monitoring visit for me to the Raising Families Programme, Uh, that I manage in Kyrgyzstan in Central Asia. Now, uh, Burlington Baptist Church has supported this work to the tune of at least £6,000 per year um, for for a number of years now, Um, a generous investment that I'm personally very, very grateful for um, and one which I believe has seen a great harvest for the Kingdom of God. Thank you very much um, for your agreement, that investment. I'm delighted that Matt and Liam, where is Matt? Oh, sorry, are coming on this trip. In a minute, they will share their thoughts with us on what they're expecting. Um, but first, a little refresher on what I'm doing there and why. It's pretty global today, isn't it? Puerto Rico. Now we're over in Kyrgyzstan. So, um, I sense that when Christians in the UK pray for the persecuted church, that often we we tend to have an image of brave, or maybe frightened believers huddling in dark basements, quietly praising God, reading their Bibles, and hoping that no one will hear them or discover them. And undoubtedly, in some places, this might be a fairly accurate picture, uh, and pray for these, our precious brothers and sisters, we must. Um, But my friends in Kyrgyzstan lead a very different lifestyle. Um, Kyrgyzstan is a country where Protestant Christians are formally um, regarded as... uh, Followers of non-traditional religion, um, in other words, a sect, Uh, registration in their churches is only possible uh, when at the risk of them losing their jobs and a whole lot more. uh, At least 200 people sign names and addresses to say they are members. It's a near impossibility in all places outside of the capital. Orthodoxism um, is tolerated as the Russians' religion uh, but uh, the dominant religion is Islam. Now, simply put, uh, this comes in different forms, but much of it uh, can really be described as folk Islam, which is a cocktail of Muslim witchcraft and local animist tradition. And Interestingly, um, the use of the word Baptist um, as a swear word is commonplace, uh, very commonplace. It's spat out, normally. Um, So Christian Believers in Kyrgyzstan regularly encounter what I would tend to call a flash flood or thunderstorm form of persecution. All may be quiet for weeks, but then if a neighbour or a local authority representative or a relative takes offence at something uh, that's said or done suddenly and without notice, Christians can find themselves on the receiving end of exclusion, of hostility, or of violence. And typical of the alienation issues that they have to face is the refusal of authorities. Uh, to let their deceased be buried in the community graveyards, um, which are considered by the Moldos or the Imams to be Muslim, um, although it's not strictly true, um, or the refusal of village elders to allow believers to enter local shops or use public grazing areas for their sheep, etc. Cases of violent attacks on Christians are all too frequent, as I've sadly witnessed for myself. And into this environment come the churches that Raising Families seeks to envision and equip, um, and they are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus and intelligently serving uh, the most vulnerable families in their community. So rather than being huddled nervously in their proverbial basements, these churches are engaging uh, with the very authorities that mistrust them so much. and They're building relationships, they're building trust, and demonstrating a commitment to serve those uh, that the rest of their society reject. Now, these believers have become um, a significant means of reducing homelessness. Uh, They provide training on health, nutrition, and livelihoods. Uh, They advocate for marginalized school children uh, rejected by their own teachers. Uh, They restore access to clinics and hospitals and schools uh, for families who, through the impact of alcoholism and drugs, have lost their registration paperwork. Uh, They provide development and employment services for physically and mentally disabled who were previously locked away in their homes through shame. Big issue there. And they improve shelter and uh, protection and nutrition uh, and community structures for the elderly. Um, They are a means of many families being restored to loving, healthy relationships. Um, And into this tough environment, praise God, 108 people have repented and come to Christ um, since February of this year. So this is the Kyrgyz harvest that we are celebrating today. And wonderful it is. And maybe we should change our mindset about the persecuted church. Let's hear from Liam, see what he's up to and why. So, um,
2: myself, Matt Holmes and Alan Cutton are going to Kyrgyzstan on a mission trip uh, to help with raising families. You'll probably hear more from Alan and Matthew during the service. I can't be there this Sunday, so this is why I'm doing a video. So, I just want to spend three or four minutes talking about... um, prayer requests for the trip, um, what I'm expecting um, when I go to Kyrgyzstan and, and then by the end um, you'll hear more from those guys. So what I'm expecting, so there's going to be um, a definitely cultural difference between the UK and Kyrgyzstan so I'm looking forward to see how the church um, deals with uh, some of the stuff they're doing missionally out there um, which is going to also going to challenge me and excite me. Um, and hope I can bring something back from what I've learned in Kyrgyzstan. And hopefully they can um, I can learn they can learn something from myself um, as I show them some of the way we do things here in the UK. Um, just the whole country, I've never been on a mission trip before um, to serve the body of Christ, so it'd be nice to see how the different denominations um, in the church community do stuff, how they work together, um, how they serve um and also how just how they do things so i'm really looking forward to getting involved uh, with raising families and supporting these guys and encouraging them um, as they go through this mission for the last couple of minutes i just want to bring some prayer requests Um, traveling there's going to be long flights different flights going from place to place most days so just pray um, that god will give us the rest that we need so that when we do serve um, the brothers and sisters over there, we can be fully focused on the tasks that we're going to be doing. Um, I have a young family, three children and a wife, so i would appreciate prayers for them. Um, this country has got some um, persecution problems um, and I just want their minds to be at ease um, as they know that I'm going to serve them um, and that he's got his hand on me and he's protecting us. Um, so if you could pray for them uh, while I'm there, that would be awesome and just really for the Raising Families project that, you know, it would grow. Um, it's been going for a long time uh, by Irina and Dima who have been leading this mission for a number of years and I just really pray that, you know, with your prayers as well, that this will just go from strength to strength. So I just really want to come back encouraged from Kyrgyzstan um, and hopefully bring back to the UK uh, something different that I can use for my walk and for our um, families as well. So. Appreciate you for their prayers, requests, and we just look forward to going to Kyrgyzstan to serve our brothers and sisters. God bless you all, and see you when I get back.
1: Matt, come and put him right. Will we we'll be safe travelling really and No, I'm delighted that you're both coming, but um, Matt, you're a teacher. Short half-term break, chance to rest. What earth are you going to Central Asia for?
3: Um, well, there's, there's two things, really. I, I, um, the first thing, way back at a church weekend, like Danny and Vera, Serbia, indeed, like years indeed. ago, and like... Ever, ever since then there's a kind of I've like, been a nagging around the world what are they what are they mm. really like and um, so I'm going primarily to, to learn really and to get myself out of comfort I've had these kind of these feelings about how uh, God the little eagle to kick, our, kick us out of our nest and it's <laughs> kind of like constant you no know, levels so yeah. those two things there and um, I just think these, these guys are, are amazing uh, that, that, that run the Raising Family and um, just, uh, the, how do they how do they live lives under under that you know persecution and still serve I mean the easy answer is yes in their lives but what does that what does that actually look like how does that how how are these guys I mean I know they're not superhumans, but they've got Jesus in them and and what is it that's really what
1: So interesting for me it seems that uh, I'm taking one really evangelistic sort of guy one quite prophetic guy and uh, how have you prepared do you you know how have you asked God to speak to you anticipate that he will have a specific word that he will give you
3: yeah I'm I'm, it's weird uh, I don't my dreams are not great, and I'm sleeping well. But this week, it's just been so many, so much weird stuff going on. <laughs> really, and um, obviously, I've been good weird. Exactly, badly. I don't know. It's kind of a, a mixture, really. <laughs> they're getting, they're getting better. But um, you know, having prayed against, you know, discernment, and you know, there's obviously the enemy doesn't really want things to happen. Mm. But actually, um, there's definitely I can feel a stirring in as to, uh, you know, something, something. It's weird.
1: interesting. Um, yeah. Sally was at our house last night and saying if Thing, um, certain words that God had given her and I understand has shared with you as well, which sounded really interesting, yes, probably yeah. too much to yeah, go into you know, in detail. The, yeah, there was kind
3: of a few prophetic pictures. And, yeah, that's uh, super. Yeah, yeah, that's super.
1: Yeah. And when people go on a trip, they normally stand up and say, we're going to do this, we're going to paint an orphanage, paint an orphan if they hadn't heard <laughs> the instructions properly. Um, you know, or, or dig a well, or build a church, or teach English. What are you going to do, for heaven's sake?
3: Yeah, I know. <laughs> Set you up <laughs> for that. Yeah, thank you, me. you did, Alan, yeah, thank you. I mean, actually, this, that's been quite a, quite a struggle, not, not necessarily for me, but to get across to other people. So um, at school, I've, I've kind of found out where I'm going there now, and um, I haven't kind of necessarily advertised it, but, you know, talk to people. And, and the first thing is, well, you know, what are you going to do? I'm going to do a lot. I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm going to be, and it's, a, you know, and that's, um, you know, we are called to be. But, uh, you know, how, how, how the world kind of understands what, what being is. They don't do much, but they, they, they just see it as, uh, as going along with you guys to kind of help with uh, same, the same charity, um, charity. And I talked about the Raising Families. I'm going to just find out how these guys serve their, the poor in their community. And, that, and people have been really kind of open and, yeah, positive about it. Super. Which,
1: yeah. Well, well done, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much, Matt. That's Thank great. You. You. If only I could win the lottery. If only I was a little bit younger. If only I was a little bit older. If only I had a job. If only I had more time. If only I was married. If only I was single. There always seems to be one thing which we think we need, which we haven't got, which all too easily becomes the only thing that stops us doing the very thing that God wants us to do. Shall I say that again? There always seems to be one thing that we think we need which we haven't got, which all too easily becomes the only thing that stops us doing the very thing that God wants us to do. It's my enormous privilege to work alongside people who have determined not to make the things they lack an excuse for not doing the will of God. Consequently, I count among my best friends those who have been victims of genocide, uh, of war, and of other atrocities. And some have survived rape and torture, or have lost their homes and families, um, or have become either internally displaced or refugees in another land. They tell their stories with much pain, but also with such mercy and not a little faith, and with calm resolve to seek a better future. Others among my most precious acquaintances live realistically and repeatedly in anticipation of being ostracised antagonized and persecuted. In some places this takes the form of a consistent, strategic, systematic form of opposition from central government institutions. And in other locations it can come more randomly and unpredictably uh, from resentful and volatile neighbors and relations. And one is like a constant driving rain from which you cannot escape. And the other, as we've just said about Kyrgyzstan, for instance, is like a sudden flood or a thunderstorm that violently appears without warning. The one is incredibly wearying, the other is incredibly frightening, but the love of Christ controls these friends of mine, and even though some of them have watched while their peers have fled, even emigrating to seek calmer futures in countries far away, others accept that these are still the conditions in which God continues to call them to live and to work. If you have no opposition in the place you serve, you're serving in the wrong place, said G. Campbell Morgan a long time ago. Not everyone involved, though, in my Raising Families programs experiences war or persecution. Some merely contend with desperate poverty in all its forms. And these friends of mine who have lived their lives in ultra-poverty are some of the most grateful and content people I know when drought badly hit Swaziland in 2016, seriously affecting the harvest. So I went back to my colleagues and suggested that we temporarily change the approach of raising families from one of equipping or development to more of an aid or handout model. And they begged me not, if ever there was a time For the church to love its neighbours and to serve them sacrificially, this is it, I was unequivocally told. So be it epidemics such as HIV and AIDS, as well as drought, as in Swaziland, or the threat of Islamic extremism and drugs and human trafficking, as in Central Asia, or mass employment following the collapse of the mining industry in Zambia, or the 1994 genocide and ethnic cleansing, as in Rwanda or the destructive impact of the LRA Lord's Resistance Army as in northern Uganda, every nation I work in is either trying to recover from something terrible in their recent past or fighting to ensure that pending disasters don't hit them too hard in the future. And so this is the setting in which our Raising Families program operates, and it's facilitated by Christ-like women and men who determine not to put limitations upon god and themselves to face the music and uh, if only if only we could be more like that in the church in the so here comes a biblical rationale for what we're talking about i guess it's to references of suffering that we are most likely to think of when looking at this subject suffering is like the biblical word for aggro um I didn't learn that at Bible college. Virtually every writer or book in the New Testament has something to say about it, interestingly, with the exception of John, either in his Gospel or in his epistles. And yet, today, by way of a change, I'm going to focus instead on the words trouble and hardship. About 172 references to trouble in the Bible, a quarter of them are in the book of Psalms, unsurprisingly another 17 of these are in the book of Job, but wherever we look the scriptures leave us in no doubt that trouble ain't far away. Jesus personally knew deep distress and trouble, Um, he told us that we would too. In this world you will have trouble, he said, um, and every day has enough trouble of its own. Um, He told his disciples that 25% of the seeds they sow will actually take no lasting root due to trouble or to persecution. Now, I don't recall Jesus ever telling us to keep out of trouble. Biblically, keeping out of trouble was the sole preserve of those guards who wanted to cover their tracks when Jesus' body was found to be no longer in the tomb. That's the only time you'll find that reference or that expression in the scripture. Rather than avoiding trouble, Jesus told us what to do when trouble comes our way. These are the things, some of the things, he says. Do not worry. Stay here and keep watch with me. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Look at my hands and my feet. It's eye, touch me and see. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. I'll come back to you, take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. He said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. He said, my peace I give to you. Do not be afraid. He said, take heart. Do you know, all nine of these instructions are given by Jesus as a direct response to trouble that his followers were in. In summary, there were three fundamental directives that he repeatedly gave them. He said, trust in me, I will never leave you, I will give you the words to say. Trust in me, I will never leave you, I will give you the words to say. Can you say that, congregation? Trust in me, let's say that lad. Trust in me, I will never leave you. I will give you the words to say. And again, trust. I'd like to turn to someone next to you and tell them what Jesus says. Do you know, this is more or less the same as what God said to Moses at the burning bush, Exodus chapters 3 and 4, when he called Moses to respond to the misery of my people in Egypt. He said, do not be afraid, I will be with you. I will teach you what to say. And when the deepest trouble of all, that is his imminent death on the cross for the sins of the whole world, was staring at him in the face, Jesus weighed his options, John chapter 12. Nice, actually, this was in my Bible reading this morning. I thought, oh, I'm just thinking about that. Back out or press on. And he said to his father, no, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason. I came to this hour, Father Glorify your name, <laughs> our pioneer, our hero, our ultimate example. Hallelujah! We should not be surprised that his father, overwhelmed with pride and love for his son, and the decision that he made, could not remain silent at that moment. John twelve twenty eight. Then a voice came from heaven, "I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again." Now, further on in the New Testament, in support of the church in Lystra, Iconium, um, and Antioch, Paul was strengthening the disciples and encourage him to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships um, to, enter the, to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, Paul was convinced it was not possible for him to be separated from the, lo- lo- from the love of Christ, be it by trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Even if he were to face death all day long, he's considered... As sheep to be slaughtered, his living testimony was this, that in all things um, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that in Christ Jesus. And later, compelled by the Spirit, Paul set off for Jerusalem, not knowing what would happen to him there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me, he said. However, I consider my life not uh, worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And he laid the same message on thick um, to the, in the second letter to Corinthians. Whether believers in Corinth were settling for the easy life or not, I'm really not sure. But his letter, which is like a very unusual CV, talks liberally of his sufferings His hardships, his pressure, experiences, appeals, commendations, reports, testimonies, even offers some foolishness and boasting, all based on the dreadful treatment that he'd receive simply for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. But he was far from moaning about this, and he wasn't simply tolerating his circumstances either. So nearing the end of his letter, he concludes, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. Got a song about this, John? I delight in persecution. I delight in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And we could look further. Timothy was urged to endure hardship, as were the Hebrews and the church. In Ephesus was praised by Jesus, uh, described here as someone like the Son of Man, for enduring hardship in my name. Now, we know our Bibles. Many of us have read these things before. But maybe they are worth some quiet reflection was it for our own peace and comfort that we accepted Christ or did we urge him to accept us as his disciples come what may and is my only aim as Paul said to finish the race these are really challenging questions my raising families friends in other lands certainly appear to be doing that and are still reaching out to others despite their own struggles and I just the whole point of this morning if the If the UK church can grasp something of their spirit, their determination, and their focus on him rather than on the troubles that we inevitably have, then I believe we will have learned well. So a little bit of contextualisation at the end of this session. I think it's true to say, isn't it, most of us would agree that the European Convention on Human Rights in the 50s, the UK Human Rights Act in the 90s, Equality Act 2010, have given us all a much stronger awareness of the need for justice and greater protection and equality uh, within our society. And although we love to mock it, we could surely all find constructive things to share together of the positive impacts that Health and Safety Act have had on our society since the mid to late 20th century. But despite these huge overarching initiatives, has our society actually improved? Has our, you know, as Christian believers, can we say that these things have helped us to follow the biblical instruction as followers of Christ anymore? And what, if anything, have been the negative impacts of a greater human rights and health and safety awareness on our psyche, on our worldview, on our culture? And just how far have these attitudes crept into the church and the thinking of Christian believers? In what ways does, and I'm going to ask you to talk about this in little groups in a minute, so sleep later. In what ways does our risk-averse culture deter us from pressing on into tough service for Jesus? And would we rather lean on the state to provide justice for us or to trust in Jesus to do this? And are the two actually in conflict, or can they be compatible? Or you might want to focus on this. In what ways does our current worldview damage our capacity to respond well, and biblically, and with faith, to hardship and suffering? Has it, for example, given us instead the permission to issue blame, to avoid certain responsibilities, uh, and to provide us with an alternative to grace, and to mercy. Is our God-given mandate as believers still forgiveness, restoration, and reconciliation? Or are we increasingly interested in making rights-based demands and ensuring the punishment of offenders? Are rights without God like judgment without mercy? Is the grass really always greener on the other side? How can we make sure that we refuse to embrace or justify a victim mentality, a grievance culture, or a glass half-empty it Speak faith to one another for the next three minutes, go. So, Father, with grateful hearts, we thank you very much for the nation that we find ourselves in uh, and the day and the era in which we find ourselves in. And we would ask, Lord, that, uh, that we present ourselves as those who uh, live within an age and an era and a culture Um, that we would somehow be able to see kingdom culture and live kingdom culture and have a foundation of kingdom culture which is deeper still than our ethnic root. We would ask you, Father, that the words of Scripture and the witness of the Holy Spirit will establish your ways in us, that we might be salt and light in an ultimately broken community. In Jesus' name.